I don't know very many people who enjoy going to the doctor. We know that it's usually beneficial, but we put it off until the very last minute. I'm not real sure where this phobia for physicians comes from, but it sure doesn't help matters that the first person you saw at your birth was a doctor who then proceeded to smack you on the backside just to make sure you would cry. I think from that very moment, you became leery of doctors. And you don't really love to go to the place where they're going to poke and prod and pinch you with needles. We're leery of going to the doctor when we're sick. We're very apprehensive about going to the doctor for a well check. And yet this morning, I want to submit to you that a routine exam is not only needed, but it's necessary. I'm not merely speaking of a physical routine exam. I am more addressing a spiritual routine exam. That you and I need to routinely undergo a spiritual examination. Many of you probably realize and understand and believe that the Lord is the great physician. And this morning I want you to conjure in your mind that this is a waiting room. And I am nothing more than the doctor's assistant. And I am coming to tell you those famous words. The doctor will see you now. It is with that in mind that I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. I want to read in your hearing chapter 11, verses 23 to 34. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to begin at verse 23 and conclude at verse 34. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that he will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give further directions. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God, you may be seated. In our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives us some of the earliest recorded words of Jesus from his ministry here on earth. It's important for us to note that the writing of 1 Corinthians predates the writing of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So some of the words that I read for you, some of your Bibles, the words written in red, they're also located in the Gospels. 
But yet, what Paul writes predates in a chronological fashion what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we have just read some of the earliest words that Jesus spoke that's recorded for us in the sacred scripture. Now, the apostle gives them the words of Jesus as it pertains to the Lord's Supper. But apparently, the Corinthian church was not taking the Lord's Supper in a proper way. They were taking the bread and taking the cup in an unworthy manner. Apparently, uh, they were uh, not being very respectful in their partaking of the bread and the cup. They were taking it in an unworthy manner. The Greek word that's translated unworthy, it means careless. It means flippant. It means disrespectful. That they were coming at the table in a careless fashion. They were taking the bread and taking the cup in a flippant way. They were approaching the God of the universe in a very disrespectful way. It ought to be noted and remembered that the church at Corinth was a very divided church. In the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul identifies the schisms in that faith family. There were some groups of people who said, I follow Paul. Others who said, I follow Apollos. Still others said, I follow Cephas, which means Peter. And then the super saints who are hyper-spiritual, they said, I follow Christ. It wasn't the Christ that walked this sod for 33 years. It was their version and understanding of who Jesus was. So in a very arrogant way, they just simply said, well, I follow Christ. And the reality was, none of them were following the Lord wholeheartedly. There was, they were very divided. They were divided between the haves and the have-nots. They were divided between the wealthy and the working class. In the days of the first century, when the Corinthian church gathered for the Lord's Supper, they oftentimes called it an agape feast, a love feast. They would gather together. They would share not only bread and cup. They would also share other items on the table. And apparently, in the Corinthian culture of the first century, the wealthy did not wait for the working class. They didn't wait for them to get off work. The wealthy just went ahead and they devoured all the food, got drunk on the wine. So by the time that the working class got off work and came to the spot where they were going to have the Lord's Supper together as a faith family, they got there and all the food was gone. Not just all the food, but the bread for the sacred meal had been devoured. And the cup, the wine, it had all been consumed. And there were the wealthy people uh, who were their brothers and sisters in the Lord and they were just laid out drunk. And Paul says they they were doing this in an unworthy manner. They were coming to the Lord's Supper in a way that was very flippant, very careless, very disrespectful. And I think that much of that was rooted in their divisiveness. They didn't have much care or regard for one another. They had drawn their lines in the sand. They had taken their sides, taken their teams, and they were only for the people that looked like them, walked like them, talked like them, acted like them, and thought like them. They were very divided. 2,000 years have passed. I would want to say that a whole lot has changed. But the reality is, God's church in America is divided. We, we are divided. Some follow an elephant. And others follow a donkey. It was J.D. Greer who said, whenever the church of Jesus Christ in America gets in bed with politics, the church always gets an illegitimate pregnancy. There's division within the church. Some would say, I follow an elephant. Others would say, I follow a donkey. And still, even 
Beyond that, there's division within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. For some say, I am a mask wearer. And others say, I am not a mask wearer. Some say, I am vaccinated. Others say, I am not vaccinated. There's a division within the church between the haves and the have-nots, the wealthy class and the working class. Even today, in this very place, in, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in our nation, there's great division. There's even some teaching in our culture that infiltrates the church that somehow, uh, somehow purports that, that the color of your skin determines the trajectory of your life. That somehow the pigmentation of your skin determines whether or not you are a victor or the victim. Whether or not you're oppressed or an oppressor. And still in the church today of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are some who say, I am red, I am yellow, I am black, I am white. For surely there must be one who's superior in his sight. And my friends, that kind of division should not be. Not in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die for a divided church. Jesus died for a united church purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so even today, there would be an argument to be made that the church of Jesus Christ is as divided today as it was in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago. Drawing lines in the sand, saying, are you with me or are you against me? Because if you're not with me, if you're not in my group, then you're against me in some other group. And the Apostle Paul says, I think that out of that deep division, this disregard for God's people, this disdain for God, it has led to you coming to the table in a very flippant, careless, disrespectful manner. I think the apostle is operating under this assumption that, that when it comes to uh, a, a sign that is seen, it, it symbolizes something far greater. That when you come to the table, it, it signifies what Christ has done. In fact, when you take the bread and the cup in a worthy manner, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That somehow by taking the bread and the cup in a rightful way, in a respectful way, you're actually preaching the gospel. You're receiving the gospel in your life. By faith, you are feasting on Christ. By faith, you're taking the bread and taking the cup. And when you take it in a worthy manner, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, but because of all the divisions, because of all the backbiting, because of all of the taking sides, they came to the table and they had a disregard for the bread and the cup, and that disregard at the table led to a disdain for the Christ of the table. There was a connection between that symbol and sign and what that symbol and sign represented. Paul was saying, if you come to this moment, if you come to this feast, if you come to the Lord's table, Holy Communion, and if you come in a flippant, careless, disrespectful fashion. It only reveals that you are flippant and careless and have a disrespectful demeanor towards the Christ of this table because the table signifies something greater than the table itself. It signifies the Lord. Let me give you a present-day illustration and example of how the symbol signifies something far greater. I dare say that most of us, if not all of us, would regard ourselves as patriotic. I mean, we love God and we do love America. We are glad that we are born here in the United States of America. We, we praise the Lord for that. And most of us would call ourselves patriotic. If 
For most of us, if you saw the American flag, you would say that's a sign and symbol of our values. That's a sign and symbol of our freedom. That symbolizes our nation. And yet if I showed you a picture of an American burning the flag of the United States, how would you feel? For some of you, you would be enraged. For some of you, you would think to yourself, clearly that person does not know the price that has been paid to secure his freedom. Someone else would say, give me five minutes with that joker and I'll teach him some respect. I mean, all kinds of responses would be uh, in your mind and maybe in your heart and out of your lips. And I understand that because you operate under the assumption that that flag is a symbol of the freedom that you enjoy here in this nation and that the flag symbolizes something greater than the fabric of the stars and the stripes. In the similar way, the Apostle Paul is coming here and he's saying, listen, when you come to this table in, in, a, in a manner that just is, is just disregard and, un, and unworthy, when you come in that kind of manner, not only are you disregarding and disrespecting the table, but something far greater than that table, far more than just that bread and that cup, you are disrespecting Christ of the table because the symbol signifies something greater. The apostle says that they come in an unworthy manner, careless, flippant. So if you're asking the question, well, then how do I ensure that I come in a worthy manner? How do I make sure that I don't approach God's table in a way that is unworthy, that, that a way is disrespectful? What do I need to do? And the apostle gives us the answer in verse 28. A person ought to examine himself before taking the bread and drinking the cup. That word examine, it means to evaluate. It means to put to the test. It means to look at the productivity. Usually this word examine uh, was tied to a farmer examining the usefulness of oxen. And so the farmer would look to see the work of that oxen, to see how useful that oxen is and because the best indicator of future activity is present and past action. And so the farmer would look at the productivity of the oxen, he would examine, he would evaluate. In a very similar way, the apostle is saying to the church, listen, you need to examine yourself. You need to have a spiritual examination. You need to examine and, and, and evaluate your work, your words. You need to examine your attitudes and your actions. You need to see if what you're doing is in line with what God wants you to do. Friends, it's a good thing for us to routinely have a spiritual exam. It's a good thing for us to examine how we're living and what we're saying and what we're doing. We need to examine our holiness or lack thereof. We need to examine our current purity and our morality. We need to ask ourselves the question, do I hold a grudge where I need to give forgiveness? We need to examine, are there areas of pride that we need to crush in our lives? We need to ask ourselves the question, listen, am I fully serving my family and my coworkers and my friends or am I just being selfish, doing what I want, when I want, how I want? We need to examine ourselves. It's a good thing to subject yourself to a spiritual examination. You need to measure yourself, measure your thoughts, measure your words, measure your activity, measure your attitudes against the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. It's not that you measure yourself against other people. 
It's not that you measure yourself even against your understanding of what you ought to do. No, you measure yourself against, according to the words of the Apostle Paul in the Ephesian correspondence, God has prepared good works for you to do in advance. So how are you doing? How are you living? How are you acting? You undergo a spiritual examination. The word that is translated for us to examine ourselves, that word examine is in present tense. We've said before that in the Greek language, the present tense not only communicates present action, but ongoing action. Paul is saying that you need to undergo a spiritual examination routinely, regularly. It's not sufficient for you to say, listen, I've done that one time. Ten years ago, I examined myself. Ten years ago, I examined my walk with the Lord, and ten years ago, I was fine. I came through in glowing colors. I mean, I I passed every test that was given to me. Ten years ago, I was doing great. It's not enough to say I was faithful to the Lord. No, a spiritual examination is something that's ongoing. Now, how often do you need to do this? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. But I got a sneaking suspicion that you and I need to undergo a spiritual examination more than we do currently. If you do it regularly, you need to do it regularly more. If you do it sparingly, you need to do it more often than sparingly. I mean, how often do you need to examine yourself? You need to examine yourself on a regular basis. Lord, how am I living? How am I measuring up in my thoughts, and my attitudes, and my actions, and my walk, and my talk? How am I doing compared to what you have for me to do? Because I'm yours, I'm bought with a price. And I want to glorify you in all things. So I want to examine myself. It's a present tense word. It simply means it's an ongoing action. It was a 1563 Hattelberg Catechism who asked the question, for whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? And here's the answer. For those who are displeased with themselves because of sin. For those who trust that all of their sin has been pardoned. For those who believe that their continued weaknesses will be covered by the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And for those who long for more and more strength to live a better life. Friend, do those phrases describe you? Does that describe who you are? For whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? Why did Jesus give us this great meal? Why did Jesus tell us to do this continually, routinely, until he comes back? For whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? It's for those of us who are fed up with our failings. Is there anybody in the house who is displeased with yourself? Is anybody in the house who says, you know what? I let myself down far too often. I am not very pleased with myself. The author of the Hattelberg Catechism says that's exactly the first step, that you have to be displeased with yourself. And you've got to trust that all of your sins are covered under the blood of the Lamb. That all of your sin, past, present, and future, all of it has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're a person who says, Lord... Listen, I I, I know that I want to live the way you want me to, but I will continue to have weaknesses. And even my weaknesses that will be evident in the future, they are still covered by the death and burial of Jesus. Thank you, God. And you're a person who longs for more and more strength. 
Because yesterday's strength is not sufficient for today's challenge. And so you long for more and more strength to live a better life. Friend, is that you? Is that you? Is that who you are in Christ? You say, listen, this is my identity. I I am in Christ. All of my sin has been covered by the blood. Even, Even my future careless deeds, everything has been covered by him. And I long to live for him. I want his strength to be on display in my life. Friend, if that's you, the Lord's Supper was instituted for people just like you. This is who the Lord's Supper is for. For people who undergo spiritual examination to the point where they say, you know what, I am fed up with my failings and I need help. And I believe that all of my shortcomings have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Not just what I've done or am doing, but what will continue to do. Not that I'm trying to take advantage of it. Not that I'm trying to work for my salvation. But all of my salvation is bound and found in the accomplished work of Jesus on Calvary's hill. And I just, I'm just longing to live a better life. When I say a better life, I don't mean a better American life. I mean a better holy life. Just let me live a better life that I will I will reveal by everything that's inside of me, all my actions and attitudes, that I love the Lord and the Lord loves me. Friends, that's what happens when you undergo a spiritual examination. The Holy Spirit reveals the sin. You confess it in all of its wickedness and all of its grossness, and you find the grace to help you in time of need. Now what happens if you refuse to undergo that spiritual examination? What happens if you take the bread and cup in an unworthy manner? Well, Paul answers that. He says that you will drink judgment upon yourself. This is a warning passage. We have to be careful how we apply a warning passage. But I do want you to note that this is given to the church, to the redeemed, to the believers in Corinth. This is not given to a pagan cancel culture. This is given to the church. And to the church, he says, if you take the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, you will be drinking judgment upon yourself. Well, how do you know that they're drinking judgment upon themselves? And Paul answers that too. He says, because many among you are weak and sick and have fallen asleep. When he says fallen asleep, he does not mean what happens when the preacher goes too long. He means death. Paul says, look around. Look around at the faith family. There are many there in Corinth, and you are weak, you are sick, and you are dying. And the reason you are is because you've approached God in a flippant fashion. You've approached the Lord and his table with utter disregard. You have disdain towards God's people, and it mirrored by your your disrespect of Christ. Just look around, Paul says. And my question to you today is when we look around the church in America, the church in this nation and in the nations, don't we see a lot of people that are weak and sick and dying? Of course we do. We're in a global pandemic, right? I mean, of course we see this. And and we think to ourselves, but but wait a minute, this has nothing to do with that. We, we, We can't apply this to that. It's not that, that people came to the Lord's table and had the Lord's table in an in a unworthy manner, and because of that, God sent COVID-19. Preacher, you're not saying that, are you? 
But before we dismiss it, don't dismiss it too quickly. Could it be, I'm just asking, could it be that part of the reason of why we're enduring so much suffering in the midst of COVID-19 right now, could it be that it's because God's people have become careless in their approach to him? Could it be that God's people are flippant? Could it be that the Christians in America and the Christians across the globe are disrespectful to the God of the universe? Now, I am not tying a particular person to a particular sin. I am speaking in generalities. I'm speaking from 30,000 feet view. But the principle is true. That when God's people become careless, he will use just about anything at his disposal to capture your attention and draw you back to him. That's exactly what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 11. You're drinking judgment upon yourself for the purpose of discipline so that you will be brought back to Christ. That God will use just about anything. He has the capacity, the prerogative, and the power to use any level of suffering to recapture the attention of his people, to draw us back unto him. Now keep in mind, I'm not talking about a particular person with a particular uh, sickness, but what I am saying is that when God's people get careless, he can use just about anything to capture our attention unto him again. And could it be that that's what God is doing through this pandemic in this nation and throughout this world. Friends, we have to take this warning passage seriously and we have to examine ourselves so that we do not heap judgment upon ourselves. I remember as a boy, um, whenever I went to church and they had the Lord's Supper, I gotta be honest with you, I was bored to death. To me, it felt like a funeral service. As a boy, I hadn't gone to very many funeral services, but the one I went to, they all seemed boring. They all seemed quiet and they all seemed dead, which was synonymous with having Lord's Supper in the churches that I grew up in. It seemed boring and dead and lifeless. And I remember asking my mom one time, why is everybody so quiet when they have the Lord's Supper? And she responded by telling me it's a time for examination. And I thought, oh, okay. And from that moment on, I examined everything. I examined the size of the cup. I examined the texture of the bread. I examined the pattern on the pew. I examined the carpet at my feet. I examined the engraving on the table. I examined the colors that came through the stained glass window. I examined the number of light bulbs that were in the ceiling. I also examined Mr. Johnson, who was asleep, but that was not any different because he was always asleep every Sunday. I examined everything that was around me. And it was years later that I realized My mom was not telling me to examine everything around me. She was telling me to examine everything within me. That the purpose of a spiritual examination is to examine everything that is within you. Not so much to examine everything that's around you, but everything that is within you. And you look and see if there's any offensive way, any wicked activity, any vile thought, anything that you are convicted by because the Holy Spirit tells you that is not how God wants you to live. Stop being careless. Stop being flippant. Stop being disrespectful. Stop approaching God in a proud, unworthy manner. Examine yourself. You know, when you go to the doctor, 
most of you go in by yourselves, don't you? I mean, you don't take all of us with you. None of you have invited me to go with you. When you go into the doctor, you don't call and say, hey, pastor, can you go with me into the doctor's office? Why? Because when you go in the doctor, it's a very personal, private thing. It's between you and the doctor. You tell him what's going on in your life. You tell him what hurts. He tells you how he can help. He tells you what's wrong with you. He tells you what you need to do to fix it. It's the doctor-patient relationship. In a similar way this morning, um, this is very personal. This is very private. I'm only the doctor's assistant. I'm just the PA, the physician's assistant, and all I have done, I'm just coming to tell you, the doctor may see you now. He's ready. He's available. And now between you and the Lord, I want you to have a spiritual examination. And whatever the Spirit brings to your mind, confess it. If there's a grudge where there needs to be forgiveness, confess it. If there's immorality where there needs to be purity, confess it. If there's gossip where there needs to be silence, confess it. If there is pride when there needs to be selflessness, confess it. If there's service uh, where there needs to be, then you serve. Whatever it is that God is bringing to your mind to do, to say, to think, to feel, then you do it. Subject it unto him. It's a very personal time. This is the time for the doctor may see you now. And to all the redeemed, I encourage you, spend these next couple of moments subjecting yourself to a spiritual exam. And then, after that, then we'll come and we'll take the bread and we'll take the cup in a manner worthy of our Lord and the salvation that he has granted us. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. In this moment, I pray for every person every member of the redeemed, every individual of the faith family, Lord, help us. Help us to examine ourselves as we measure our life against the good works you prepared in advance for us to do. Where we are succeeding, may your spirit applaud. May we are failing, may your spirit convict. And Lord, help us as we endure and undergo a spiritual examination by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
on the night Jesus was betrayed, he had the Passover meal with his disciples. He took two very common elements, the bread and the cup, and on this night he gave commentary that those boys had never heard before. The disciples had observed the Passover since infancy, and yet on this night Jesus would say things about a piece of bread and a cup of wine that their father nor their grandfather had ever told. On this night Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks, the scripture says. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said to them, this is my body. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took one of the cups of the Passover, probably the cup of redemption. He gave thanks, he poured it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood in the new covenant, which is poured for the forgiveness of your sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us elsewhere that after they took the bread and took the cup, they left, and before they left, they sang a song. Before we leave, we want to sing a song. We want to give you the opportunity to respond. Maybe on this day, you know, uh, God's Spirit just convicted you of something. You've already dealt with it in your seat, but there's something about coming here to the altar and kneeling and praying, and maybe you just want to pray for yourself. Maybe it's not yourself that you're praying for. Maybe you're praying for a problem or a difficulty at home, maybe it's in your marriage, in relationship with your children, relationship with your parents. Uh, perhaps it's a problem at school, maybe something that's really nagging you at work. I want you to know the altar's open. There may be somebody here who just needs to join this faith family. Today's a great day to do that. Maybe there's somebody here who just needs to come and make something else known, accept Christ as Savior and Lord. Whatever it is, we invite you to come. Let's all stand.